Warning, the following will be very offensive to thin-skinned Christians. Just go ahead and skip this entire episode. I'll just piss you off and won't change your mind about anything. This episode isn't so much about thinking a problem through on all sides, but hopefully it's a side of a well-known story presented in a way that maybe you haven't thought about. There's a legend in these here parts. Centuries ago, a woman is raped by an immortal and is impregnated with his child. Nine months later, she gives birth to a half-breed, part man, part god. He roams the landscape, teaching people how to get out of fights by walking away, how... Using leftovers in your cupboard, and some careful portioning, to make bread and fish feed much more than it should. And he also taught where you should plant various seeds. He eventually gained support, and at least a dozen followers. This is the ancient time, so quitting your job and leaving your home to follow some guy around is easier and more dignified than the deadheads of today. One night, this man tells his followers that he's going into town tomorrow. He's thoroughly disgusted with how certain people are trying to survive by selling things related to the church. They have lost their way, and the church should never, ever try to make money. He fears if he doesn't stop this now, in hundreds of years a device will send images to people requesting money for a church they've never even been to. He goes on to say that he knows he'll be captured and tortured and ultimately killed. But fear not, he says, for he'll be back in three days. It was later said that his death would absolve all humanity from their wickedness. And so all this comes to pass pretty much like he says. I'm sure you figured it out by now. I'm talking about old Jesus. His death and resurrection is the basis for one of the largest religions on the planet, Christianity. Many believe his death frees them from the eternal torment of their sins. Now, let's enter the land of Dairy Queen and make the very large assumption that the word of the Bible is true. Something very interesting about Jesus comes to light that makes his death much less meaningful. I'll save that suspense to talk about something completely hypothetical. Imagine, if you will, your entire life from birth to death. You could die at any time of famine, disease, getting hit by a truck. That's just part of life. Death. Now imagine at the age of 20, you're approached by a one-eyed Slavic gypsy woman, and she tells you she has a very special gift— and her purpose in life is to give it to others. She tells you that if you suffer 24 hours of tormenting pain, you will live another 80 years. She won't charge anything for this gift other than the 24 hours of pain. She promises no weird monkey paw side effects like your four-year-old son coming back from the dead and killing Herman. No being stricken with some illness ten minutes later and living the rest of your life in a bed, nodding your head in Morse code, spelling out S.O.S. No getting a turkey sandwich with nice spicy mustard, but the turkey's a little dry. Just a guarantee that you would live another eighty years in bliss. You wouldn't believe her at first. But because you're scientifically minded, you demand an entire team of scientists to study her plan, and they eventually give you ample evidence for believing this cycloptic nomadic woman. Would you do it? Would you suffer 24 hours of pain that would result in over 28,000 more days of peace? 
By now you're thinking I've set that up so only the mentally challenged, extremely paranoid, or just plain spiteful bastards would turn it down. Of course you take her up on her offer. I especially worded this so it's a no-lose situation for you. Yes, you'll endure some pain. Twenty-four hours worth. That's not so much suffering considering the payoff. And life is all about pain anyway, physical and mental suffering. You cannot know relief until you know pain followed by the removal of said pain. So you go ahead with the pain to receive the promised better life. Now before the gypsy starts, a crowd gathers. She explains to them what is about to happen, and they can enjoy the show. Please purchase a t-shirt at the concession stand. For the next 24 hours, people come and go, watching your anguish. You feel the worst pain you've ever felt and wish for death. Your back feels like it's on fire, your liver is swollen, and your teeth itch. Finally, at the 24th hour, the pain is gone. All of it. Your back feels great, your big toe now points forward again, and that rectal problem is cleared up. The gypsy woman smiles at you and tells you to enjoy your long life. You're free to go. You explain to your provisional audience that you're going to SeaWorld! And run off barefoot into the sunset as a loon is heard crying in the distance. Somewhere at that same moment, a child is crying softly for its mother. Here's a multiple choice question for you. What are the people in the audience going to think after witnessing this? A. That's the most horrible thing I've ever seen. Did you see that guy's toe? B. I'd gladly suffer 24 hours of that for 80 more years. C. That man is the most noble, self-sacrificing man I've ever seen, and if only someone would write down his ways in a book so I can follow them. D. Glad I didn't have to pay admission. Or E. Man, I got this pebble in my shoe, and I think it's torn open that blister I got from pulling weeds in Mr. McGregor's garden. The correct answer is, of course, C. That man is the most noble, self-sacrificing man I've ever seen, and if only someone would write down his ways in a book so I can follow them. You're thinking that most people would want the same deal for themselves, and yes, that's probably tied with C. But I know that C is at least a valid answer, because this has supposedly already happened. Let me show you. But first, I have to change some things around to make it a bit more plausible. Let's try some substitutions. Instead of being at age 20, you're in your early 30s, just a little bit older. Now, instead of being approached by a gypsy, you're approached by your father. Oh wait, and your father is God, creator of everything. Hang on, it gets better. Instead of saying you'll suffer for 24 hours, it's not even a full day, and six hours of it is just hanging around, catching some rays. Instead of giving you 80 years, it's eternity. You will live forever. Forever. Think of all the time that has passed, and this is like twice that. You won't live here on Earth, but you'll be given the opportunity to appear to people in statues, tortilla chips, and in bathroom door wood grain at any time of your choosing. You'll be in the greatest place ever imagined. Heaven! And eventually you'll be reunited with your followers. You don't need the scientific team to prove anything to you. You know and accept all of this, because the man making this offer is your father. God! You know he's never lied and wouldn't hurt a fly. <clears throat> Killing an old man for steadying his precious ark, that's one thing. But he wouldn't hurt his own son. Sound familiar? Sound more plausible? Well, some would say it's in fact not more plausible. But that is precisely what millions of people believe about Jesus. And they believe that he suffered some agonizing ordeal for our sins, and he was incredibly noble for doing so. And what's wrong with that, you ask? His tale is the greatest story ever told, you say. 
Is it noble to pay a very small price for a large reward? It wasn't a small price, you say. He died. I reply, no, he didn't. He knew he wasn't going to die. He's immortal, and all he did was the spiritual equivalent of changing his pants. He left his current shell and went on to another one in a different plane of existence. Yes, Jesus did pay a price. But it was a price he could easily afford. That brings me to a tangent. So the other day, Cletus, the slack-jawed yokel, is speeding down Johnson Ferry Road. He gets caught and the police give him a ticket. The fine is $150. That $150 means a lot to Cletus. He works as a short-order cook at the Fried Weasel Hut, and now, thanks to having to pay this fine, he can't afford to fill his gas tank for another two weeks. He can't afford to take Brandine out for her birthday. He'll have to give up renting dirty movies for a month. He also won't have enough money to glue those cardboard tubes together to make indoor plumbing. Thirty minutes after Cletus pulls away from the cop, crying over his financial problems, he's literally driving and crying, Bill Gates comes speeding along the same road doing the same speed. The cop is only too glad to give Bill a ticket. Do you think that $150 means much to Bill Gates? He probably spends more than that on the bowl used to shape his hair. What's expensive to one person may not be to another. Cletus is devastated by the $150 fine. Bill Gates is not. I, a mere mortal, really, really wouldn't want to be beaten for several hours and then hung on a cross to die. That would totally suck. However, to the Son of God, that's absolutely nothing. He knows he's immortal. He knows he's really not going to die. No, I'm not saying Bill Gates is the second coming of Christ. I'm saying that the price they each had to pay means so little to them as to be practically free. It would be like most people getting a speeding ticket and it only costs a quarter and there's no points against your insurance. That kind of fine wouldn't deter you from speeding. Jesus' death was an empty gesture a moment of pain in an immortal's life who knew he would then go on to better things. Now, my gypsy Jesus analogy isn't quite right. God didn't actually make a deal with Jesus, but Jesus knew the outcome. If you didn't know this, Jesus knew he was going to die. He knew he would come back in three days. He also says that no one can take his life, but he has the power to give it back and take it back. So aside from being an Indian giver, he was well aware of the consequences. Don't believe me? I, I hate quoting scriptures to people, especially people I like. It's like throwing sand in your friend's face. It burns, it blinds you, and it has a gritty taste. I apologize deeply for this. Hold on to your flannel panties, we're going in. This is from the King James Bible. Matthew twenty-seven sixty-two through 63 After Jesus' death on the cross. Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir... We remember that that deceiver said, while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Jesus, the deceiver in this case, told them, told Pilate, he would be back in three days. Yeah, that's not very convincing. Kind of hearsay. How about Mark 8.31? By the way, if you don't know this, Jesus is called Son of Man all over the Bible. Not the Son of God, as you'd expect. Mark 8.31 and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders, and of the chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Okay, so he's telling more people that he knows he'll be killed and come back. Still not convinced? Try this one. John 10:17 through 18 This is Jesus talking. 
Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my father. There! He admits it! Jesus knows he's the son of God. He knows he can't truly be injured by mortal men. He chose to die, and yet he really didn't. In essence, he faked his death. It's almost like he got tired of dealing with us and decided to make a grand exit. Okay, so I pointed out that his death wasn't really that meaningful to Jesus. It was, in fact, an empty gesture. Now you say, but he died as a mortal man to absolve mankind from sin. You argue that his death wasn't just about the amount of pain he suffered. The death of his mortal body was required so God would forgive us. So you're saying that Jesus, or God, couldn't grant absolution without the worthless death of the shell that Jesus walked around in. He can't forgive man until he burns his suit. So in heaven, the discussion was something like this. For heaven's sakes, Henry, you're God. Why can't you just forgive them? Quiet, Martha. Unless the earthbound body of the son I created by forcibly imposing myself on Mary dies, there's nothing I can do. But you're the one who has to forgive them. Why do we have to have all this smoke and mirrors? Don't you yourself have free will? Mr. Big Shot, look at me. I can do anything, but I can't grant forgiveness unless someone dies, even if it's a fake death. Look, as long as those isotopes are still present in Jesus' chest cavity, my hands are tied. Mankind cannot be forgiven. I don't make the rules, I just work here. Now quit your bitching and hand me another ho-ho. So the death of Christ is tied to the salvation of mankind, even though the death is meaningless, or at least merely symbolic. Rather than say he died for our sins, I like to say... Jesus stubbed his toe for our sins. It puts it into a much better perspective. He didn't really die, and he knew it. And considering his lifespan, stubbing your toe sounds more equivalent to the pain he suffered. Let me ask you this. If one night while hunting the elusive albino beaver in the vast walnut farms of Kentucky, you grow weary of stepping in beaver leavings and ask me if you can borrow my dad's car. I say sure, and you grab the keys, and you're off to another adventure. I'd make a semi-joke about some horrible fate that befalls you while you're in my father's automobile, but more to the point, did I have the authority to lend you my dad's car? It wasn't mine, and I don't live with my parents. They're 70 miles from me, and neither of us lives in Kentucky, so you really had to work to get those keys. Just think about this. Does Jesus actually have the authority to grant us salvation? Some people think Jesus wasn't just the Son of God, but he was actually God himself, or some form-slash-extension of God. In that case, yes, he certainly had the authority, but man, does that make his gesture even more empty. I can't forgive you unless you watch my magic show first. Pick a card. Others believe that Jesus was God's son. If so, had he cleared this with his dad first? If not, the scene in heaven might have been this. Jesus, I told you to pretend to die so you'd be back in time for supper. I explicitly told you not to go back there making a lot of promises that I'd have to keep. Christ, you do this on every planet. You can't just keep giving people a free ride. They'll never learn for themselves. Now everyone down there is going to run around screwing, killing, and carving graven images, thinking that all they have to do is say, I believe, Jesus, and everything's okay. Ugh, war all over again. You were grounded, mister, for the next 2,000 years. But, Dad, I told them to keep the Ten Commandments. Don't but dad me. I hate you. I should have taken Satan's offer. I doubt that's actually how the conversation went. They were probably speaking Hebrew, for one thing. I don't have the answer to this one. For one thing, I don't think such an event ever took place. 
Maybe there was some guy named Jesus. Maybe he did some really great things, and then he was crucified by the Romans. But did you know that the Romans crucified thousands of people? Some estimates say as much as 500 a day at their crucifixion height. I'm not sure I believe that figure. Or at least I find it hard to believe that that was a normal day for any period of time. It just seems like a lot of time and effort to spend killing people that break your laws. And frankly, I don't think the Romans were that stupid. But this shows that Jesus wasn't alone. Think about that. It wasn't just Jesus standing by himself being beaten and later hanging on a cross in an empty field. He was on an assembly line of torture. He was just a single Model T and a whole line of Model T's. They had a line of guards. Next. Some poor bastard is thrown into a ring where the public can see that justice is being done. Throw stones at him. Ten minutes later, he's taken away. Next. Some other poor bastard is brought in and stoned. Next. So even if you still think that Jesus didn't perform an empty gesture, realize that thousands more mortal humans died on the cross for real that same year. There were thousands of real deaths before him, and Jesus' death didn't stop the thousands of real deaths after him. What is the pseudo-death of a god compared to the real suffering of thousands? If you haven't noticed, I've made reference to the Bible in several episodes. That's because I think it has an unduly amount of influence in today's society. My experience has been that a lot of people like to talk about God and occasionally quote the Bible when it suits their needs. But most people don't really go by that book. Most people haven't even read it. And I'm including people who consider themselves religious and go to church multiple times a week. I made it a point to read the Bible a year ago. It's full of the most amazing crap you've ever heard. Maybe I'll do an episode of the weird crap someday. Here's an example of something you probably didn't know. King David peeped on some woman naked and liked what he saw. So he had her husband sent to the front line of a war so he'd be killed and then David could have her all to himself. There's also this guy who talks to olive trees and vines for guidance. Moses had an equal named Aaron. All the things you hear about Moses, Aaron was there too. And he's mentioned just as much in the Bible. But you don't hear that much about him. Maybe it's because God killed Aaron for telling God that some people doubted him. Maybe that's where Don't Kill the Messenger got started. I strongly urge everyone to read the Bible, especially if you don't believe it. It won't make a believer out of you, but it will make you understand people better. Ned Flanders once said, There's some things we don't want to know. Important things. After reading the Bible, you understand that's not a joke. I don't think most people really want to understand their world. Just keep the status quo. Since you're listening to a podcast, I'll point out that there are several sites where you can download free MP3s of someone else reading the Bible to you. Give it a try. Man, is it boring. Good luck. I have no evidence of the Bible's truth any more than I have evidence of leprechauns. Wait, wait, let me rephrase that in a different way. I have just as much evidence of the Bible's truth as I do of leprechauns. And I have much more plausible explanations for what happens around me. When presented with differing evidence, I will reevaluate my beliefs. Maybe leprechauns do exist. If you don't hear another episode, you'll know Jesus came back and kicked my ass. See you next week! Visit our website at logicallycritical.com. Send feedback to podcast at logicallycritical.com.